verse 18. Hear now the word of the living God. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Now, living God, we pray that you might speak to us, we, your people, through your word. Incline our hearts to hear. Help us both in the preaching and in the hearing of the word of Christ this day. Leave us not in the place where we entered this day. Change us, counsel us, convict us, guide us, exhort us. Perhaps even, if it be your will, regenerate us by the word of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What a journey it has been as we've walked through the pages of Daniel together over these previous months. Sometimes we've zoomed in and we've looked at very specific events. You recall that the first six chapters of Daniel are stories, true stories of things that happened some 550 years before the birth of Christ. It's been a while since you've been in the book of Daniel. You'll recall that God's people living under the old covenant broke covenant with God. And eventually, as covenant breakers, as those that God was chastising, they were carted off, they were carried off into Babylon. And there they would remain some 70 years. This God had predicted through the prophet Jeremiah. And Daniel, whose entire life really is an unfolding story of what it is like to live for the king of kings under the earthly kings and pagan kings of this world, Daniel's life is one that we have followed. Those first six chapters really give us a picture of living for God in Babylon. But the second half of the book, beginning in chapter 7, is a book that has caused us to zoom out and zoom in. Here's what I mean. Daniel receives various words of prophecy. And most all of them have to do with what God is going to do between the time of Daniel and when the Messiah will come. And we've seen that in various ways. And often, the voice of God, namely the voice of Christ, has been heard in Daniel's ear. And then the living Christ, the Son of God, The eternal one sends his angel, Gabriel, to give Daniel visions. We saw in chapter 10 last week, and I'll just briefly summarize the following things. Daniel was concerned. He was deeply troubled because now the exiles have been returning to the land. And they're having struggles. The rebuilding of Jerusalem is being attacked. And Daniel is concerned. And in Daniel chapter 10, we saw last week that he is spoken to by the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. And then Christ sends the angel Gabriel, as he has done before in the book of Daniel, to give him a vision. 
And this is really the final vision that Daniel will receive. This vision lasts from chapter 10 all the way to chapter 12. Gabriel reports, as he begins to give this vision of the Son of God to Daniel, Gabriel reports that he was having trouble getting to Daniel, given spiritual warfare. You'll read of that in the previous few verses. Verse 10 says this, Do not fear, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. In other words, I've been sent by the living God to answer your prayer. But notice what is written in verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And we spent time, we labored there to demonstrate that the prince of Persia is not an earthly king, but an angelic being, a fallen angelic being. This opened up for us The reality of the need to understand that things that happen here on earth are not alone. Oftentimes, there are spiritual forces. There is great spiritual warfare coming against the people of God. So Gabriel reports that he had trouble getting to Daniel given spiritual warfare. And the implication is that things that happen here on earth, as God's redemptive plan unfolds, are often stirred up Spiritual forces. Herman Bavink, the Dutch theologian from the previous century, writes these words in his work, Reformed Dogmatics, quote, the book of Daniel, accordingly, really conveys a picture in which the war between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world is not only conducted down here on earth, but also in the realm of spirits between angels. In the colossal struggle waged between Israel and Persia, that is, between the kingdom of God and that of Satan, there are both sides, on both sides, angels who take part in the struggle and support the opposing peoples. You see, really, from the beginning of the word of God, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promise is, that the skull-crushing seed of the woman would come. That Christ, boys and girls, would come. Did you know that Jesus is spoken of in the very first few pages of the Bible in Genesis 3.15? That's really how we read our Bibles. We sang a song about how to read our Bibles this morning, didn't we? Moses and Isaac and David, they're all ultimately about Jesus. They're getting us to that promise. Well, from the beginning, the promise was... That there would be struggle between the seed of the serpent, between those that belong to Satan and those that belong to Christ. And you just have to read the pages of the Bible to see that struggle. Well, our text today moves us into the vision in chapter 11. But prior to unearthing that vision, I want us to zoom out. Brothers and sisters, I want us to zoom out quite a bit. Our text towards the end of chapter 10 reveals to us that angels were involved in conflicts here on earth. And I don't know if you caught what Gabriel said to Daniel. I'm going back to fight with the prince of Persia, those hosts that are stirring up earthly forces there. And then what does he say? Eventually, the prince of Greece will come. Greece was the next earthly kingdom after the Persians. 
I don't think it's reading too much into this to say there is going to be ongoing spiritual conflict, Daniel. There's going to be war, Daniel, here on earth between the angelic forces which are all under the simple word of the Son of God. And so I want us to zoom out for a few moments. I don't want us to leave Daniel without zooming out enough to see this spiritual reality. Three things this morning. Three things. They come with a warning, though. Each of these points this morning, brothers and sisters, begins with the words angelic beings. Here they are. Angelic beings serve God's unfolding work of redemption. Number two, angelic beings look expectantly into God's work of salvation. And number three, angelic beings that are fallen are now bound. And you say, okay, I, I, I follow you. Three points, they begin with angelic beings. What's the warning? Well, here's the warning. We're not here today to study angels alone. We're here to fix our eyes and to fix our minds on that which they fix their eyes upon. And upon that which their minds are engaged upon. Namely, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the warning is, let us not dabble in discussing what the word of God says about angels without pressing past those created beings to the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the warning. But the word of God is full of a discussion about how created spiritual beings indeed are involved in the ongoing work we see in the pages of the Bible. So let's zoom out big enough to see what it might mean for Gabriel to say to Daniel, I've got a battle, but there's another battle to come after that. Let's zoom out through the pages of Scripture. Number one, Angelic beings serve God's unfolding work of redemption. When I say zoom out, we're getting a small piece of that here. There's no mention in just those few verses at the end of Daniel chapter 10 of the cross, of resurrection, of Christ putting on flesh and earning a righteousness that we are clothed in. But Daniel's message and words from Gabriel really are a part of that unfolding story. I'm utilizing here a wonderful list of passages of Scripture that once again Herman Bavink has put together. And I just want to walk you through the unfolding pages of Scripture for just a moment. When I say, brothers and sisters, that the Scriptures reveal to us that angelic beings serve God's unfolding work of redemption, here's what I mean Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. You might want to just listen as these references are read or jot these passages down for study this week. But let's just walk through the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, we see angels guarding Eden. Quote, so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. There from the beginning, 
God's plan of redemption given and angels seen. Of course, we remember in Genesis chapter 18 and 19 that angels are involved in God's work and appearances with Abraham and Lot. Or how about the fact that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, and in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, we see that angels had a role in giving the law. Hear the word of God. Hebrews 2, verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Galatians 3, 9. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator guarding Eden, Abraham and Lot, the giving of the law. Our own text, Daniel, teaches us that angels have been involved in Israel's conflicts, the conflicts of the people of God. Angels are involved in Daniel and Ezekiel and other places in bringing the word of God to the Old Testament prophets. And of course, boys and girls, who can forget that famous passage that we often read every December? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But you know, it wasn't just Mary that heard from angels about the coming of Christ in the flesh, was it? It was the shepherds as well. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I hope you see that as we move from Genesis all the way to Christ, there is the continual movement and involvement of angelic beings serving the purposes of the unfolding plan of redemption. Just a few more passages. Angels minister to Jesus during his temptation. Matthew 4.11. They minister to Jesus in times of suffering like Luke 22 verse 43. Quote, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Angels are present and are the trumpets of news at the resurrection. Matthew 28 verses one through eight. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to draw on Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. And then I've always loved this phrase and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. It's as if, brothers and sisters, the hosts of heaven 
cannot stop but being involved in serving the ongoing work from Genesis all the way to Jesus. And so when we get to Daniel in the middle of that great movement of redemptive history and we see Gabriel showing up saying, there are battles that I'm fighting and there are battles yet to be fought. We ought not say, oh, that's interesting. We ought to say, have we seen this before? And yes, we have. From Genesis all the way to the Gospels, created angelic beings are involved at just about every step. Heaven breaking into earth and God's promise to bring salvation. Well, we could continue. For time would tell of angelic presence during the apostles' ministry, Acts 5.19. Or the fact that it's through angels that the apostle John receives a vision in Revelation, Revelation 1.1. And if we want to fast forward and zoom really far out, It is the angels that will gather the elect at the day of judgment, Matthew 24, 31. And it is the angels that will gather the ungodly, Matthew 13, 41. And read this. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. From the cherubim guarding the entrance at Eden to the very last day when Christ is seen as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All of heaven is serving at the behest of King Jesus. Give us the word, Lord. How will we serve you this day, Lord? We who have been created to sing your praise are ready to trumpet to shepherds and virgins alike that you're coming, Lord. We who have been created to offer you our holies, holies, holies is the Lord God Almighty. We are here at your beckoning call to serve you every single step of the way. So yes, when we get to Daniel chapter 10 and we see one of the hosts of heaven speaking of the ongoing conflict, we need not say, huh, that's interesting. We ought to say the movement from Genesis to the very last day is upon us and we're peering in, we're zooming in on just one angel as he serves the unfolding plan of God. Heaven breaking in to God's plan on earth. But I hope you see, brothers and sisters, that we're not speculating about angels. When I was growing up, there was a TV show about angels. And... There was no gospel in it, but it was quite popular for a while. And angels would come here and give moral messages to individuals and help them in their suffering. It was a good worldly attempt. But that's not what we see in the pages of Scripture. Angels are always fixing their service and always fixing their gaze and always fixing their minds as spiritual beings on the glory of God and the wonders of his gospel among men from beginning to end. Angelic beings serve God's unfolding work of redemption. But secondly, angelic beings look expectantly upon God's work of salvation. Brothers and sisters, this may not encourage you this day, but this past week as I began to read these next few passages of Scripture, 
I was deeply encouraged. Now, here's what I mean. Angelic beings look expectantly upon God's work of salvation. If we were to zoom out, there are a few very strategic passages of Scripture where, without it being the main point of those various passages of Scripture, we get little snippets of how these created angelic beings not only are servants in the unfolding work of redemption, but they look expectantly, longingly, even with awe, into what God is doing among men. I'll give you a couple of examples. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. We read these glorious words. Jesus gives the parable of the lost coin. And then he chooses to tell all of his followers this. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. When one sinner repents. Rejoicing over converted sinners among created angelic beings. And our Christ has chosen to tell us a parable of a lost coin being found and how there is great rejoicing in the courts of heaven over one sinner who repents. But if you continue through the pages of the New Testament, you'll see that In addition to angels rejoicing over converted sinners, angels are intimately involved in church happenings. Just two places. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 10. We read these words. For man is not from woman, but woman from man, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, we could spend our time in 1 Corinthians 11. For those of you that are interested in how we might seek to unpack this passage, our Entire series on 1 Corinthians is online. I encourage you to to look there. What is this symbol of authority? What is this head covering? But don't miss this detail in the unfolding plan of redemption. But here, as the church is gathered in worship, angels are involved. You may say, well, it's just a simple phrase. Well, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 21. Paul is giving instruction to Timothy about the laying on of hands of new elders, pastors, boys and girls. And he says this, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Angels are actually in the New Testament pictured as being intimately involved and or connected to church happenings. 
But perhaps the most striking passage in the New Testament we find in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. And think of the Gabriels here when you hear this read. Speaking of the glories of the gospel. We read these words in Ephesians 3 verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Paul's talking about the gospel. The plan from the beginning that was so often hidden, it seemed, throughout the Old Testament has been clearly seen in the face and work of Jesus Christ. And then notice what Paul says. As this message which has been hidden and is now clear in Jesus Christ comes to pass. Hear what Paul says in Ephesians 3.10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church... To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Boys and girls, I know we're flipping pages today and we don't normally do that. But here's what you need to understand from all of these verses. Angels don't know everything. They're not God. They don't have bodies like us. They're not humans, but they are created by God. They serve God, but they don't know everything. So as God's work of salvation unfolds throughout time, they observe what God is doing. And this passage teaches us they even observe what the truth of God is as it is taught by the church. And they learn, they learn and follow along as redemptive work unfolds. And you know, brothers and sisters, one final passage here. First, Peter tells us what their posture is as they watch what King Jesus is doing in his work among men. First, Peter, chapter one, verse 12. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow to them. It was revealed that not to themselves, that is the prophets, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. Through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. I don't know if you see what's happening here. Angels are watching God's work among the church and they are learning. They are rejoicing and they look, the text says, expectantly with awe into what God is doing. These are the beings that serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They constantly sing his praise. They declare that he is not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. And they say to themselves without sin, 
What a glorious reality that God would save sinful men. You need to remember, brothers and sisters, these are the angels that the book of the Revelation says are ready with one single word to unsheathe their swords and wipe out all rebellious individuals. They are ready to go to war for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And here, the book of First Peter pictures them as longing to see the glory of the love of God that would send Christ, who would put on flesh and live among war-torn, sinfully war-torn individuals who are broken and diseased from inside out with sin and yet live a perfect life and put up with us day in and day out, sinlessly, and then go to the cross and bear our sins. These are the creatures who had compatriots who rebelled without offer of salvation. And they look at the church and they say, the glories of God. And they look longingly into what God is doing, Christian, in your life. Angelic beings... Serve God's unfolding work of redemption. But angelic beings look expectantly into God's work of salvation. Well, as we close, a final thought is, well, what about now? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords lived a perfect life. He died for the sins of all who would ever trust in him. He was raised. He was seen as victorious. What about now? The news has been broken, of course. The mystery is made clear. Satan knows his days are numbered. What about now, though? Does the Bible say anything about now? Because Gabriel's mission to Daniel would ultimately take him to Mary with the news of Christ. But that's 2,000 years ago. What about now? Well, finally, as we close... I think the word of God teaches us that angelic beings that are fallen are now bound. They're now bound. For that, let us go to the very last few pages of the Bible before we close with Daniel. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Again, I invite you to look at our series through the book of the Revelation several years back. You'll find sermons all the way through this book. We'll dive into one final passage here. Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan And bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. 
But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Many times people approach Revelation chapter 20 and they try to figure out what this 1,000 years is. For those of you who like to dabble in theology, it's called the millennium, a thousand years. And there's a lot of ink that has been spilt on when is this thousand years and what will it be like? But perhaps, as we've said before, it would be better to ask the question, what is happening here in Revelation 20? First, and when we do that, the pieces to this thousand years fall into place. Quickly, Satan is pictured as bound. Satan and all of his hosts are pictured as bound during this thousand years. Have the scriptures ever spoken of Satan being bound before? Yes, they have. Matthew 12, verses 28 and 29. Isaiah 24, verses 21 and 23. Satan is pictured as bound as Jesus brings forth the kingdom at his first coming. And this would be all the events of his life, his coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Satan is pictured as now being bound. The word of God pictures Jesus as already having conquered or bound Satan and his hosts. Just a smattering of verses. 2 Peter 2.4, fallen angels are pictured as being in chains. Jude 6, fallen angels are pictured as being in chains. John 16.11, Satan is pictured as already being judged. Colossians 2.15 gloriously preaches to us that at the cross, Jesus disarmed Satan. Hebrews 2.14 teaches us that Jesus' work is a work which destroys Satan. Revelation 12.5 shows us that at the seeding of Christ, there was a casting out of Satan. Luke 10, verses 17 through 19, pictures the casting out of Satan from heaven as occurring as missionary activity is happening. See, this binding of Satan in the scriptures doesn't mean that Satan is not active. It means, as the text clearly says in Revelation, that he cannot overcome the work of Christ. More specifically, that God's people will not not be able to hear the word. That Satan will not be able to deceive the nations any longer. The gospel will go forward and it will go forward as the angels of heaven are fighting the battles with the Persians and the Greeks of this world as they did in Daniel. The people of God will indeed go through times of great joy and times of great sorrow. But Satan is pictured as defeated. He is the snake flopping around for a few more seconds, having already been decapitated by King Jesus. And as all of this is happening, Satan might rear his ugly head, but he cannot stop the church of God from preaching the gospel to the nations. He cannot stop the elect of God from hearing the gospel. He cannot stop you today, friend, from glorying in the Christ who loved you and died for you. 
So there are angelic beings. And some of them are fallen. The work of Christ has plunged them into being bound. They cannot stop the unfolding plan of redemption. And they know it and they hate it. William Hendrickson in his commentary on the book of the Revelation says this. We repeat, the devil is not bound in every sense. His influence is not completely destroyed. On the contrary, within the sphere in which Satan is permitted to exert his influence for evil, he rages most furiously. A dog securely bound with a long and heavy chain can do great damage within the circle of his imprisonment. Outside that circle, however, the animal can do no damage and can hurt no one. So, yes, we are in Revelation 20 right now. And Christ is ruling and reigning. And we ought to be very optimistic about the spread of the gospel. Cultures will come and cultures will go. Our call is not to make every cultural institution an institution that says that it is the church. No, we are to preach the gospel. We are to discipline the saints. We are to pray. We are to administer the sacraments. And Christ will rule and reign over his redemptive kingdom. And the angels of heaven will gloriously worship God and rejoice every single time a sinner confesses Christ. And they will say to themselves, and I don't know what it's like, but they will say to themselves, the glory of God in saving human sinners. Do you know this glory? Do you know this glory? Have you come to understand that the living God put on flesh? He had ears like you boys and girls and eyes and hands and fingers. And he came and he did exactly what we're supposed to do and don't do. Live perfectly. He becomes our substitute by faith. And he went to the cross and there as our substitute sacrifice. What was required of us as sinners, death, Christ took on to himself. This is the living God who is now also fully man. He became your substitute. And the angels of heaven serve the ongoing message that you and I might hear these words. Christ says, And I will not cast you out. Is your yoke heavy? Lay it on me. My burden is light. Are you a sinner? Does the world have no plan of saving you? I will save you. For I died for sinners. There Christ paid the penalty for all who trust in him. And as Colossians 2.15 teaches us, when he did that, in addition to the sins of all his people being paid for, in addition to salvation being accomplished, not just being made available, but being accomplished for us, in addition to all that, Colossians 2.15 tells us that Christ made a public spectacle of all the principalities who were against God. And based on Genesis to Revelation, the Gabriels of heaven are shouting praise to the living God. For he has accomplished the unaccomplishable. 
the salvation of sinners deserving death. Now here we are in the middle of just a small little piece of that, aren't we? Do you know why I've come to you, Daniel? Gabriel says. I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And and when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. Remember, these are the kingdoms that are coming until we get to Jesus. I will keep on fighting. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. So yes, we zoomed out quite a bit today. But this angel of Daniel chapter 10 had more work to do. But the movement of redemption which he served would continue. till the very last page of your Bible, Christian, where all of the hosts of heaven and all of the saints, saints that have gone on before us, saints that we miss so dearly, and we ourselves are gathered there at the feet of King Jesus singing praises to the Lamb. And all of heaven, even now, gloriously longs to peer its face into the work of the Son of God saving sinners. We ought to sing. We ought to shout for joy. Because those created to do that very task have fixed their eyes and their minds on Christ. So at the close of this sermon, don't fix your eyes on the angels. Don't look at the Gabriels of the text. You fix your eyes and you set your minds where they do. On God's glory and on his unfolding work of redemption. Christ crucified. Savior for all who trust in him. Oh, the glory that heaven longs to see to you. Let's pray. Living God, help us not to be interested in the angels, but to have the eager expectation that they have as they look into your work in the salvation of sinners among your church. When we see a few verses about an angel in Daniel, transport our view of the whole that we may see from beginning to end. These creatures which praise you serve your purposes and help us to remember what that purpose is. To bring glory to your name as you show mercy to the undeserving sinner. Help us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.